Hello, and welcome to the Money Mile Podcast. I am your host, Justin Waller, and I am happy you are here. We like to think of Money Mile as standing at the corner of triathlon and personal finance. We believe that age group triathletes are the lifeblood of our sport, and we want to shine the light on some good people doing great things in our sport. Today, we have a very special guest on Money Mile. Today, we are joined by Kathy Casey. Kathy began participating in triathlons in the late 90s. She is an age group triathlete and coach. She has completed seven Ironmans, multiple 70.3s. She ran track and cross country for Texas University and was the first female head coach hired at SMU and nearly 20 years spent coaching there. We are going to talk about how she significantly leveled up her triathlon experience, built confidence to take on bigger challenges, and we learned a lot about her philosophy as a coach and as an athlete. We learned what Kathy thinks is the best investment you can make in triathlon and her thoughts on the most underrated aspect of the sport. We also learned a little bit about Meat Fight and Project 13, a cause that is near and dear to Kathy's heart and I had not heard of before. So be sure to listen to the end. It's some pretty cool stuff. Now, this is one of our special interview episodes, so it will be longer than normal episode. There will be a brief intermission slash form check opportunity in the middle-ish of the episode as well, so look forward to that. We have all the links in the show notes, so you can check into that stuff when you're back at your computer. But for now, drop your shoulder blades into your back pockets, pick your eyes up, and make sure you have a nice forward lean from the ankles, and listen up to this conversation with the one, the only, Kathy Casey. Kathy Casey, welcome to the Money Mile Podcast. Hi. We like to think of the Money Mile podcast as standing at the corner of triathlon and personal finance, and uh, we believe that the age group triathletes are the lifeblood of our sport, and we want to shine the light on some of the people doing great things in our sport. So, Kathy, thank you so much for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. This is fun. Kathy, I have actually heard a little bit of your backstory. I understand that you've been involved in running and triathlon for quite a while, but for our audience today, can you help us understand a little bit about how you got started and introduced to triathlon? Well, I got started a long time ago. Um, I was a restless kid um, where I didn't want to take a nap. So my mom put me in swim where all the other kids napped. So I got my start at a tender age of five years old. And uh, <laughs> then I switched to running for a while um, in high school after a little career of little kids swimming. And then I got a scholarship. I was a pretty decent runner in high school, got a scholarship to the University of Texas, where I ran Division One track and cross country for the Longhorns, hook them. After that, I was just getting a little bit banged up with running. I had been doing it for a long time. We had always had this one triathlon in my hometown called the Docks Backman, which was a very intro to triathlon sprint race that me and my brother and my husband, my then wasn't my husband then, but now is, um, we would just do this race. And it just, I was like, wow, this is really fun. I can combine all these things that I'd been doing, especially when I was injured, I was cross training. And it's like, this might be a way that I can really like 
keep my longevity in the sport, you know, really kept my identity as a runner. But now it's like, wow, this other stuff I can do really well. And I'm staying healthy doing it. So I was like, wow, this is super cool. And I did a triathlon right out of college, did some marathoning after college, got again, banged up. And then I kind of just switched into triathlon after I watched my husband do, um, I, we switched to long course after I watched my husband do a the old course, Buffalo Springs, 70.3 course. And I thought I would never do this. This is, this is way too long for me. I was a middle distance runner in college and in high school, and I couldn't imagine going long. And then I kind of just got sucked into it and the rest is history. So, but I've been in it for a long time, the late nineties. So I just, I love it. I love everything about the sport. And I just, I love telling other people about it because I just think it's really cool how you can stay healthy. You can do all these different sports. Say you do get injured or a little bit banged up. Well, guess what? Though that week's going to be swim and bike. And then I could let my knees heal or do, you know, whatever you got. I just think it's a super cool sport. So, and I should have listened to my coaches a long time ago that told me to go really long because then I really realized that I had a lot of potential in the really long distances. So this is great. So it all works out. <laughs> so there's my long journey to, to long course triathlon. <laughs> Fantastic. So you mentioned that it seems like you really prefer the longer distance stuff. Now you found a sweet spot for you. But back in college, you were a middle distance runner. And so for those of us that aren't familiar with the track world, can you give us a sense of what was middle distance back then? What was the what was your specialty? Primary distance was a 1500, which is a little bit under a mile. Uh, we call it the metric mile. And um, I also ran the 800. So those were my my sweet spots. And I don't think you could have paid me to do a 5,000 in college. I thought that was the, you know, 12 and a half laps around the track was mind blowing to me. And there was no way I was really fast. And I love just going all out and seeing, you know, really testing myself. So once I graduated and then my brother talked me into doing my first marathon, um, which he ended up not doing, by the way. <laughs> so, so I was like, darn it. So then I, I had to transfer to another race, but long story. Uh, but anyway, so after that, I was like, wow, I'm actually really have a good mindset for this. I really enjoy that longer training and just turning my brain off. And it was just a way for me to have my peace of mind. And so it was fun. Um, I had that great career in high school and college. And then I just used all that good feedback training that I had when I transitioned into the longer stuff. So it all kind of worked out, but uh, yeah, I just, my heart was in middle distance, which was eight and 1500 running. So. Excellent. Uh, so now you're in the triathlon world and preferring the longer distance. What would you say is your favorite distance within triathlon now? Ironman full distance triathlon. I like the process of it. Um, I like the way it makes me feel when you've crossed that Ironman finish line, there is nothing like it. I don't care if it's your first one or your 50th one, you still get that same choked up goosebumps, adrenaline rush as you just like head on that red carpet and hear them call your name. There's nothing like that. I love that feeling. So they're, they're just epic races and it's just really fun to me. Excellent. I, I appreciate that as well. A good day on the race course or a not so good day on the race course. If you're crossing the finish line, it's amazing, regardless of what the result is. So fully support that as well. So you had a great race at Texas 70.3 this year. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience there and how you were able to significantly improve your finish time from the prior year? Yeah. So this year I spent a couple of years dropping down distance to 70.3, especially when COVID hit and I was training for a race and I canceled and I training for a race to get canceled. I had a lot of good time just to get in some good quality training um, where I wasn't injured or I wasn't, you know, things were just going well. And then that allowed me to qualify for the 70.3 world championships, which I think that that gave me 
confidence in my bike and just my ability where I always like, I'm a swimmer, I'm a runner, and I bike just to get to the run, you know, that kind of mentality, which is great. You can say that, you can laugh about it, but it's also like how you kind of go about the bike. And I think riding up and down Snow Canyon and just having the crazy challenges that that worlds through at you. And then I brought that training mentality and I got a, I got a new coach. My previous coach, we had been together for years and years, love her to death, um, but she stopped coaching. So I ended up with uh, my new coach after a lot of research and I up my volume quite a bit. And so we went about this particular race thought, okay, this is my rust buster. This is how I typically plan my year. I do some 70.3s to prep me for a late season full distance Ironman because I wanted to get back into that after some 70.3 races. So we were like, okay, we've got a plan. We're going for the 70.3, but just a rust buster. It's fine. And then like halfway through the training cycle, I thought was, you know, having some uh, happy hour with my husband and uh, we went and I, I'm like looking up Ironman Texas. And I was like, there's this race. It's just, you know, drivable distance. And we start looking at the results. And I thought, you know what, what's my number one goal? What is I, what have I been dreaming of? And I've always been kind of on the, the cusp where I'm like, I feel like I'm the first one out kind of, kind of situation for, for going to Kona. And it's always been my, my goal since day one. So I went into it and I, I'm like, you know what, I can do this. And I, I really had that, like, I believe that I can qualify. And so I messaged my coach the next day. And I, my motto from then on out was, I miss 100% of the shots that I don't take. Can we pivot? Can we change this training plan so I can go? And I've done, to that point, I have done seven Ironmans. And I knew how to train for it. But I knew I was like, Ugh, we got to get some work in. And it's three weeks after 70.3. And I've never done a 70.3 followed by an Ironman. So this was all like, I'm crazy. What is happening? What did I just sign up for? So uh, we did, we pivoted and I went into that 70.3 with a couple, like some weeks of Ironman distance training, more focused training instead of just 70.3, just I'm saying this all in air quotes here because it's all a lot, but I did step up and I was doing those five and a half, six hour bike rides, things like that leading into it. So our mentality leading into the 70.3 in Galveston was to figure out where my bike was because I had done all these races and I hadn't really challenged myself or really said, okay, here's where I'm all in on the bike and how fast can I go? So I just rode as hard as I could and whatever happened on the run was going to happen on the run and we didn't care. We were using it purely just to kind of figure out in a race because I don't test very well on the, when I do my FTPs, just I'm a racer. I like just put me out there, tell me the past X amount of people. And, and I, I just enjoy that aspect of it. So we went into it and I, you know, had a pretty decent bike for me. And so, and I was able to back it up with my run because I had done enough run training to that point where I was, I'm very comfortable on the run. So it ended up being where I surprised myself. So that's where getting my bike more in tune with my swim and my run was able to kind of bring that time where I knew in my heart that I knew I should be. So that gave me a lot of confidence when I podiumed at Galveston that all we had to do was rest up. And I just knew that if I can, you know, I was strong, I was going to do well in Texas. So, but yeah, it all kind of worked out, but that was a, it was a big gamble. Cause I think I was over my FTP for most of the ride during the Galveston. So it was clearly all my numbers were wrong, but I'm just like, now we could accurately say, okay, this is where I think you can really hold once we get to the Ironman. So it gave us a real world you know, kind of like, wow, I got stronger and I got more confident on the bike. I was able to ride, you know, and, and really push myself to a point that I didn't know. So it was just kind of trying new things out. So it worked. <laughs> so, yeah. 
That sounds fantastic. And uh, so I've heard this saying in the past, I mean, I've heard this as well, is that racing is training and training is racing. Mm -hmm. So that it sounds like you, to some extent, weren't necessarily allowing yourself to live up to your full potential. And it took you racing in the build for an Ironman to really see what you were capable of. Yeah. That's fantastic. It's just like the mentality of it, knowing like, okay, I can do this. I can push myself and I can hold these numbers and I am strong. So I am not the the biggest, I always say I need some rocks in my pockets to, to help me compete on the, on the bike leg. But you know, it, it, it just takes me believing in myself on that bike. Cause I believe in myself on the swim. I believe in myself on the run, but I always like eh, this and that on the, on the bike. Like I can't quite compete. And I'm not quite at that Uber bike level <laughs> just yet, but I'm getting, I'm getting better. So I, I just, I'm really proud of myself for that, being able just to get out of my comfort zone and push myself. So that was kind of fun. That was just the the full test. And it's the first time I'd podiumed and that was fun experience for me. So. So just to make sure that we're clear, you were a fifth place finisher. Yes. At Texas, correct. Mm-hmm. So, and that, that was your first time on a podium. Yeah. Well, uh, for a 70.3 race. Yeah. For that distance. Okay. I think we probably have all done the local race yeah, uh, that, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't necessarily yeah. fit on that same scale, but. But a podium at a 70.3, that, that's pretty cool. So yeah. That is fantastic. Well, congratulations on Thank that. You. that. That is great. So after uh, racing the Texas 70.3, you completed Ironman Texas a few weeks later and not only had another fantastic finish, but you also qualified for world championship in Kona. So huge congratulations on all of that. That's a great result. Uh, The story of the build and and pushing yourself on the 70.3, all of that is fantastic. So happy to hear good stories when when all the pieces are coming together and and all this stuff happens. So I'm kind of curious, is there anything specific that you would like to share about your experience at the Ironman Texas race and how you're preparing for Kona now? Let's see. I think uh, Ironman Texas was just you know, we, we went into it with a goal and that full goal was to qualify and know that I could compete with any of those women, which this was uh, a championship race. So, you know, I've done other Ironmans and, you know, it, this race, especially up front, everybody kind of knew going around, we were all talking to each other. Pretty much everyone was there to get a spot. Like everybody was going for it from the swim. The swim was very intense. You know, everybody was just kind of throwing their their little punches out there in the swim, which is cool. You know, that means that means you just get elevated when everybody's out there with a mission. You just kind of get sucked along. And I think that was one of the coolest vibes that I've had at a race because it was so intense. You know, when you're out there, even on the, on the run or, you know, people would pass you and it was just, you know, be like, you got this or, you know, it's just kind of a cool experience out there. But I think that one, I hadn't done a full distance Ironman in a while. Um, I think it was before COVID. That was 2019 for me. I was doing one a year, you know, and so when I took a break from it, you know, with COVID and and things like that, I just forgot how long it is <laughs> and the the hours and the training. So it was just that kind of reminder experience is like, hello, this is no joke. You got to be prepared. Like you might have done this, but like you really have to take this seriously and know like how to pace yourself. Is my nutrition on point? Um, am I pushing too hard in the wind? You know, how is my nutrition getting off the bike? Like all those things. And so um, the other thing that happened in Texas is that all my electrolytes, it just, they weren't working. I used this little spray thing and, and none of them worked. And so I just remember like tossing it out. It's like, so it really reminded me like, as you're racing, you also have to be thinking like, 
Um, I always tell uh, my athletes, I say, be problem solvers when you're out there, something's going to happen. So you need to make sure that you're always thinking like, okay, well, that doesn't work. How am I going to get my electrolytes? Where am I going to go? You know, so I was always trying to think of that. So all the little things just kind of happen that you just, it's good reminders that maybe this is going to happen on in Kona. Like these are these things that I can learn from this race. Oh, that I can push through or, oh, I, you know, I didn't feel so great at mile 21 and I had to walk a little bit. How can I, how can I tweak that? So then when I get into that really hot, run course in Kona that, okay, I might need more ice. I might need this. So those are all those things that I took away from it that, Hey, I I put it all out there. And I can honestly say when I crossed the line at Texas, that was everything that I had on that day. And that, you know, when I look, it's like, Oh, could I've gotten this place or could I've gotten this? It's like, that's where I was on that day. And I always tell, you know, myself, I have to be race as hard as I can on that day and see wherever it lays. But it was was a really fun day. Great crowd support on the run. It was just like, craziness. So really fun. Lots of people out there cheering, but it was just a good reminder. Like Ironman is no joke. You have to take it seriously. You have to train hard for it. And um, I'm just taking all those principles into how I prep for Kona, just trying to get all the good work that I took at the beginning of the year and then have that be my base as I'm leading into like, okay, now I'm in the rhythm. I know how to do these really long brick workouts that I have on the weekend. I just know, and I'm familiar with that. And I'm just continuing to build on that, that progress that I made earlier in the year. So that's fantastic. So how far out are you from Kona at this point? Seven and a half weeks, I think. <laughs> Seven and a half weeks. Yeah, it sounds about right, given the given the time frame. Yeah, I was like, uh, okay. there's a countdown clock going on. <laughs> so how are you feeling? Are you feeling good about the, the work you're doing and, and where you're at? What- yeah. You know, it, it's very hot here um, in Austin, Texas. So it is, I think when I did my run off my bike last Friday, it was 105 when I was doing my run. So I think I'm getting the heat training that I need. <laughs> So I'll be good there. But yeah, I'm feeling good. Um, I have a little like niggle going on in my calf. But you know, that such is life. And the, the cool thing again about triathlon is that I'm going to push it hard in the pool and, and do what I can do. Um, and I always say I do what I can do in all caps, because you figure out what's possible instead of just sitting there dwelling on like, oh, well, this isn't going right, or this isn't exactly perfect. I have seven and a half weeks to to get in the best shape and I, I am in good shape and I've, I've done that, but I, I know like I have to maybe, you know, not quite ride the line so much. I have to back over here a little bit in order to make, be where I want to be in seven and a half weeks. But other than that, I'm feeling really good, really strong. Um, and I think uh, my coach and I have a really good plan in place. So I'm excited. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I'm excited for you. I'm looking forward to following you on race day. Uh, would love to be out there, but uh, unfortunately, I am not one of the ones that is fast enough to qualify for Kona. So, uh, <laughs> hey, so you we'll, never know. <laughs> well, well, we'll definitely be following online and, and looking forward to great success there for you on, on race day. So I've found that success means different things to different people and, and sometimes at different points in their lives. So at this point in your life, how are you defining success? I define my success on have I given everything that I can whether it be practice. Um, I'm a very driven person. I typically train by myself. As a coach, I coach athletes in the morning. So I don't train with my athletes. I train after. And so I am very highly motivated. I just, I'm oh one of these crazy people that can sit on my trainer, do my six hour ride. I can, I can get it done. And so I define success as when I have given everything I can on that day. And some days you're not feeling great, but if I have given it what I can on that day, maybe I'm not hitting my paces, but that's the best that I could do my best effort that I can do on that day. Then I have to tell myself that was a success. If I have given everything out there on the race course where I didn't mentally give up, 
whatever my time is on that day, maybe I'm mad for a second, but I have to look back and go, man, I couldn't have done anything else. Like I put the effort in, I put the work in. And, and I am also the type of athletes that if my coach puts something on the schedule, I will do it because I don't want to look back and it and go, woulda, shoulda, coulda. I want to make sure that I've done everything to the best of my ability. I got out there. I executed to the best of my ability. Some days it goes well, some days it doesn't, but you have to look back and if you've given it your best, you can't ask anything else of yourself. I love that. There's so much in there as as far as focusing on what you can do. And if if you are on the podium or not, if you are hitting the target time or not, you giving it all you can do and, and doing your best on the day. Success. I love that. And I don't think you can compare yourself always, you know, especially as we age, you can't be like, oh, well, when I was 25, I did this. You know, it's like, am I the best that I am on this day, on this moment? Did I give everything of myself? And if you can look yourself in the mirror and go, I did it. That's everything I had. Then you you really can't be sad. You can't beat yourself up and you move on to the next thing and be the best at that. That is fantastic. So thank you for sharing your your view of success. As I mentioned before, uh, we'd like to think of Money Mile as standing at the intersection of triathlon and personal finance. So what would you consider to be the best investment in the form of time, energy, or money that, that you've made in your athletic career? Well, two things. Well, one thing that I, I think uh, recovery is a, a big aspect of training. I think people don't understand quite how much recovery impacts how much you can train. So when I say like whatever recovery tools, if, if your $100 will get you a foam roller, get your foam roller. If your $100 will get you a lacrosse ball or a, a pack of lacrosse balls to roll out your glutes or your hips or your, your tight muscles, get that or get a massage. If your massage can be under a hundred dollars, <laughs> get that because those are the things which are kind of at the cusp of a hundred, but you know, those are things that really play into the amount that you can train. And the more you can train, obviously the kind of the better prepared you can be on, on to, to some extent, but if you can recover, if you can get sleep, if you can make sure you're, you're eating right, if you can do the recovery things outside of training, you're going to be a better athlete overall. I think just on a less expensive side away, I think one of the things that helps me, what helped me um, a lot is getting a swim snorkel. I think that's, you know, a couple of, you know, 20 bucks or something on the, on the internet. And that really allowed me to figure out how to get my right hand to pull as hard as my left hand in the water and even out my stroke a lot. And that was a super cheap way to figure out, you know, really how to get more power in my stroke and equal out. So I think that there's things you can do technique wise that you can get for maybe a little bit of money, but man, I'd pour some money into your recovery and figure out how to, how to get the right team around you to help you recover, whether that, you know, just be getting the you know, Graston technique to get your legs to feel um, better. You get your foam roller, you get massage, all those things help and will make you better. So, so it, it sounds like recovery is, is the big piece there, but also be open to looking at other things that might improve the technique side of things. Correct. Yeah. There's all sorts of little tools you can get. Okay. Well, I, I don't know if your garage is anything like mine. It's, it's full of gadgets oh. and gizmos and stuff that I've tried. <laughs> I have it like, all. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I'm trying everything. So. <laughs> so some stuff works, some stuff doesn't, uh, but look at the things that do work for you. And are you still continuing to swim with the snorkel on occasion? I do. I actually do my warm up, uh, my swim warm up, my swim cool down. And I really make sure I feel my swim stroke where I can pull all the way through. It allows me to see how I enter the water. And if I'm keeping my elbow up, I just really, and it keeps my, my feet up so I can do my kick sets. It's a really super good tool just to kind of like help you feel the water and get relaxed in the water and feel even stroke. It's kind of a cool, cool addition to my swim tricks. 
the bag of tricks that you, yeah. you bring out to the pool deck. <laughs> so I, I will admit that I have seen people swimming with snorkels. You have to get over that look. You have to get over it. I've owned it. I'm good. So <laughs> very secure in my swim, crazy swim snorkel look. <laughs> hey, there you go. There you, you just go. have no, to work great. it. You work it. Just own it. <laughs> you got to own it. You got to own it. Yeah. That's, that's great. All right. So at this point, what would you consider to be the most underrated aspect of triathlons? Something people don't pay enough attention to that they should. Like you, you mentioned uh, recovery as, as a good investment, but is there something else that triathletes should be paying more attention to that they don't? I would say one of the things is your mental aspect of training. If you need to work on how you approach each segment of it, how you talk to yourself, I think that that is something, especially in Ironman, things go up and down. And if you always think it's going to be like, oh, when the first moment that you hit a low in an Ironman, if your brain hasn't been taught to know how to get yourself out of that and get to the next up, because it will go like this the whole time. And you have to figure out how to practice those mental aspects of racing. I think that is a kind of an underrated thing that people don't think about. It's like, you just get out there and you're like, okay, I'm going to do this. But there are those moments that you doubt yourself and you have to figure out how to get out and get back up on the, the top side of the, the climb with your own mental demons out there. So, and that could be just like, okay, well, I know how to get out of this. I'm going to eat a little bit more or, oh, I'm going to look, I'm going to stop feeling bad for myself. I'm going to look over at this pretty ocean view that I have to the right hand side <laughs> that, that it's going to help me be like, how can I be mad at this? You know, and that just kind of helps you just get out of things. So I think it's the mental aspect of training. Another thing I think people don't really play into it when you sign up for your first one is to figure out, do you have the time to put into it for your goals? And so look at everything that you want to get out of it and make sure that you have a work-life balance and that your training fits into your work and life um, so that it doesn't become this just mental drain where you, you're fitting unrealistic timeframes into what you have for your, your work life, your kids, the whole aspect of it. So I think those are things that you just got to make sure that your training fits in with your life and do what you can do with things. It is time for a quick form check. Money Mile is powered by Waller Financial Coaching, a full-time fiduciary financial planning firm. If you want to improve your financial form and improve your financial independence, you can get a copy of Financial Independence for Triathletes by texting Money Mile, one word, to 33777. You will also be added to the Money for the Long Run newsletter. Again, text Money Mile, one word, to 33777. Now let's check in on that running form. If you have your own form cues, please use those. If not, here are mine. Drop your shoulder blades into your back pockets. Bring your eyes up to the horizon and lean forward from the ankles for the rest of this episode of Money Mile. You mentioned earlier that you are coaching athletes as well at this point, and obviously you have a, a wealth of experience. You have some really interesting insights on the mental aspects of training, and you are also coaching athletes. So can, can you tell us a little bit about the coaching that you're doing these days and, and how you're helping folks that way? Yeah, I coach triathletes, Ironman. I'm an Ironman certified coach that I coach from first timers all the way up to, you know, people who qualified for the world championships. I also coach athletes that have multiple sclerosis. Uh, we do that through a charity called Meat Fight. And that is something that we provide all the 
all the coaching, everything, like we get you through the entire race to show you what you can do. And, you know, if you've been given this diagnosis, you think, oh, I, I can't do anything anymore. Well, guess what? That's not the case. Exercise is a great way to do this. And wow, do these epic challenges like the Texas 70.3 or a marathon or climb a mountain. So I also help people do that. And so we just kind of, we pay for everything and sponsor these athletes to do cool stuff. And I actually, I coach through um, rogue running, which I coach marathoners. So I coach people that want to qualify for the Olympic trials, people qualify for Boston. So I have a a, kind of a a good elite group there that I coach here in Austin and also virtually. So I have all sorts of different things, but I just really want to share my passion of endurance coaching to anybody because I've been doing this for a really long time. Before I started endurance coaching, I was coaching at Southern Methodist University in Dallas where I was a head coach at a division one university. And I happened to be the first female coach ever hired there. So that was a pretty cool first female head coach. So that was a cool thing that I did for nearly 20 years. So I've coached a lot of different aspects. And um, I just like to share my passion with others. And my whole thing is I want you to do this for a lifetime. I don't want you to sign up for a race and be like, check, Gun, which is great too. But I also want to say like, wow, this is so cool where this, this can help you um, in so many aspects of your life and just kind of be your stress reliever and figure out ways to incorporate running or triathlon in your life for a lifetime. So. Well, Kathy, that's great. And it sounds like you bring a lot to the table from a coaching perspective, specifically with the run and road running. And then you also do triathlon coaching as well. You have a tremendous amount of experience and knowledge that you're bringing to the table uh, to coach your athletes here. Curious if you have maybe a top hack or a, an idea for that mental training that you mentioned a, a few moments ago, something that you help your your athletes with. Here's one way to think about the, the mental component of the race on race day or how to better prepare for that. Well, one I've mentioned is there's always a solution. So your brain is almost going to hurt during, you know, especially if you're running a marathon, if you're doing a a long distance triathlon, you've got to be thinking, okay, I've got to stay in control in this, you know, during the swim, I've got to be able to be okay, I'm on the bike, I'm pushing, but I'm not overextending where you're always thinking about how to figure out like, what the next solution is going to be say your chain falls off, is your race done? No, compose yourself, figure out, get off your bike, fix it. It's a two second fix, go, you know, um, do the things necessary that that you think that you can do. So like, you know, even this morning at practice, it was just like, I don't think I can do this. We had a really hard, hard race. Stop thinking, turn your brain off, just run. And so we do this, like, you know, shake your arms out, put your shoulders up to your ears, reset, don't think, and just relaxed running. So that's kind of where we, where we practice just this kind of being as relaxed and relaxed running equals fast running. So it's the same application of triathlon is like, say you're swimming, I, you tense up in the, in the swim and you're afraid and you're freaked out. Well, guess what? You've done this swim a thousand times in, in the pool. You know how to do this. If you have to go to the side, just relax your breathing, get into your rhythm and go. When you're on the bike, make sure that you're thinking like, okay, am I eating? Am I drinking? Am I doing the things? You know, maybe that distracts you even where you can combine that, that mental where, okay, this relaxes me when I do this, you know, like look at the ocean. If that makes you happy, smile when you're running. Smile is just like, I don't care what you're doing. If you look over at a fan and you just like smile at them, it, you can't be sad if you like fake it. Like, yeah, I did this. This is great. I'm hurting really bad. So let's just like have fun with this. So those are things like I tell my athletes all the time is that, you know, they're, they're, your brain should hurt. You should always have a solution for things. But also, man, this should be fun. This is like a cool like thing that you get to do. So relax, 
just as best you can. And just let the, that's how you can let all that fitness and training that you've accrued all these months really shine in whatever you're doing, a, a running race, if you're walking, if you're doing whatever, just have fun with it. Go in, you know, the little kids that are out there that want to um, slap your hands, like just do it. Like those are the things. Thank volunteers. All that stuff just makes you so joyful and provides that joy that I don't care how bad you're feeling. It's like, man, I can do this. Okay, let's go, you know, or, or look at a fellow competitor and just encourage somebody just those are cool things that you can get out there. And it's like, doesn't mess with your head, but it just like resets and goes, okay, this is, this is how I can move forward. And this is how I'm going to get it done. Kathy, so much good stuff in there. Thank you for sharing. I'm definitely going to be reflecting back on this in my next race. Uh, just so many good tips in there of, of how to get out of that potentially negative cycle that we can all get in at some point in the race, but focusing on the positive and getting out of your head and having fun with it. That's great. And it's it's hard. And I don't mean it to sound that it's easy. It's hard. I've been the person that, you know, where you're like, you see where you're supposed to finish and you're like, well, that's not going to happen. So it's like, okay, well, what am I going to do here? Am I going to just, you know, quit, get off the side of the road and, and be done with it? Or am I going to make the most of it? And then I start reflecting on all the things like why I do this, the whys. And we talk about this at Rogue Running too. What are your whys? You know, your, your whys have to be deeply ingrained in you on why you're out there. And I think that's what makes Iron Man so powerful is that all those whys come flooding into you as you're kind of turning onto that red carpet and you're like, whoa, this is the why I, I just, I love all this, or I'm doing it for my husband, or I'm doing this for this, or I'm doing it for myself because I want to be the best version of myself. All those things are cool. And you got to just find all those, those reasons of the whys when it gets kind of dark. So that is great. So you've been doing triathlon for a little while now. Uh, you have you have some experience in this. What would you say is your favorite triathlon that you've competed in? Uh, my favorite and my most memorable is Ironman Cozumel. I think it's because of the first one I did. And just like I was out there with my husband competing and we we always say we have household dominance because it's just like wherever we wherever we pass each other on the course. And, you know, I like chase him down on the run or he passes me on the bike and be like, good job. I just think those memories are, are fun. They they shut down the whole island and and everybody just starts cheering and, and they cheer for you like you're their own family member. So it's just one of those those memories, those core memories that you have. And it, you know, it's it's a flat course, but it's very, very windy. So it has its own its own amount of suffering out there. So, but it is it is a really cool, memorable, memorable race for me. And it's just kind of a fun, fun experience. Okay. Excellent. So you mentioned something a moment ago, and I'll just kind of circle back to here. Uh, you mentioned the meat fight organization. And that's an organization that that you do some coaching with. Could you tell us a little bit more about how you got started with that organization? Well, I got started with Meat Fight because it is my family's charity that we started back when my husband was actually diagnosed with MS. So his sister started a, a barbecue competition in Dallas, Texas, in her backyard to start to raise money for this little thing, this idea that she had. And it grew and grew. And um, so we started a, an arm of it called Project 13. Well, Meat Fight, actually, we raise money for people living with multiple sclerosis and that of that money that we raise, we give people a bike. And so exercise is a, a big deal for people living with MS that you can actually just, it feels better. It eases your symptoms. And so we give people a bike and we say, you have to be on, on the line to do one of the bike MS events. And so we take all the barriers away. Um, so when people have excuses, there's no more excuses. We find you a way to do things. 
you know, Jim, my husband had done a numerous Ironmans. And so he was like, this isn't stopping me. I want to show others that it won't stop them. So we started Project 13, which is the endurance arm of it. So uh, myself and Kelly Williamson, who's the the other coach, she was a former pro triathlete. We, you know, coach athletes and they are living with MS to do 70.3s, to do marathons. And again, take away all obstacles to show them what's possible. And to show that, you know, it it doesn't matter how you do it. They do all the training and then they get there and it just is life-changing. It shows like, wow, a diagnosis wasn't a death sentence. This is just the beginning. I've met more people that want to like do things with their lives and, you know, it it expanded what they thought was possible pre-diagnosis. And it's super cool just to watch the progression and and see what these folks can do. But it's been a really cool um, thing to be a part of and just to see how many lives we can change. I think we've given over 300 bikes to people nationwide and we've, gosh, I don't know, probably a hundred or more that we've done marathons, half Ironmans, um, They've hiked, you know, the Grand Canyon, all sorts of things. So it's a really cool thing. It's a it's a mom and pop family organization. And it's just been something that's been a a really cool thing to show people what's possible. That's fantastic. It sounds like uh, it literally started in the backyard. It literally started in her backyard. Now is changing the world. Yeah, it is. It's changing lives. And I can really say that because it's I've seen them come into the program. They've been given a bike, they've crossed a finish line. And it's just like, I didn't know this was in me. And probably before the diagnosis, it wouldn't have even popped into their brain that this was something that they would even do. And it's really cool to see them do that hundred mile bike ride, do a 70.3, run a marathon where, you know, it's just, it's a cool experience to be a part of that. And I just, I like just following the journey of that. And so when I say my athletes inspire me, they inspire me every day. I don't care if you run a 230 marathon or you finished, you know, right at the cutoff point that, you know, for your half Ironman, it doesn't matter. That brings me joy to see that you reached your goals and that you wanted to get better and that your life might be changed by something that, that we did during this journey. So those are cool things for me as a coach. Please keep up the good work there. Yeah, appreciate it. So I I am kind of a little bit curious there. So Project 13 is the Endurance Athletics. Meet Fight Endurance Labs. (laughs) Meet Fight Endurance Labs. Okay. (laughs) So is there a story behind the 13, the Project 13? Is there a story behind that? Yeah, it's actually when in cycling, when someone's given the number 13, you usually see in the like in the Tour de France, you'll see them turn their 13 on their jersey upside down. And that's getting rid of the bad luck. And so we felt like, or my husband, you know, when he came up with this, he said, this is project 13. I was diagnosed. I'm going to turn my 13 upside down and we're going to keep moving on and we're going to keep going for it. And we're going to show everybody what's possible. So it's been a, been cool to see that. So, you know, we have our, our upside down 13s and I have my little black cat that I, <laughs> Blackberry. <laughs> so we have all, all the things. So bad luck doesn't affect us. So it just shows you, you gotta, you know, you gotta keep moving forward in life with whatever is thrown your way. So cool thing to be a part of. Kathy, that that is great. I will look forward to more more yeah. good stuff happening with Project Thirteen as well. Yeah, uh, that is great. So very uh, in depth stuff. Obviously, that's very very meaningful for you and your husband, and, and still being able to and to do that. So if, if we could, if we can dial that back just a notch, a little bit more on the lighter side. When you are out there doing your thing, what is your favorite thing to listen to while you're training? Oh, I love listening to music when I train. So anything that's loud, upbeat, fun, I like to run to as loud as I can (laughs) 
make it. I like anything that's like dance music. I don't know, pop music, something that's like has a really good upbeat tempo because then I just start to match it with my energy and my, my run cadence. And especially like if I've had a long, like this past week, I had a six hour bike followed by a five, five mile run. And I was like, I need something to get me through this. So I, I literally, I turn my brain off and I just like pump up the music and I love to run to fast, loud music. So <laughs> whatever that is, I, I find I have my playlist and I go for it. So excellent. That's great. Doing that when it's 105 degrees oh, it's out. It's crazy. I felt like I was running in an oven, but I just keep telling myself, you know, everyone else is complaining about it. I'm like, you guys, I ordered this weather for me. You know, you'll get your October weather later, but I need this for Kona. So just bear with me for a little bit, <laughs> soaking it all in. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're getting what you needed out of yeah. out of all of that. Okay, so I, so I uh, mentioned uh, previously the the investment aspect of of triathlon, and you had mentioned that if someone were to have even a hundred dollars, uh, something that they might want to consider investing in, something like a massage, the the recovery aspect of things for you individually is the the massage and all that. Is that is that a big part of what you do in your your training and recovery protocol? Yeah. It's something that I learned when I was coaching at, at SMU is that you really need to take your recovery seriously. We had a small team there and it was something that I saw, okay, we, we didn't have, you know, an A team, a B team, a C team. And it was something that it's, I had to learn how to use recovery in order to keep these athletes who are training at an exceptionally high level healthy. Um, that coupled with a great athletic trainer at the time and really introduced me to all these different recovery methods. And I saw what it could do. It elevates your training like nobody's business. So I just had put that in into practice in my own life. And so, you know, I, I utilize the foam roller after I'm, I'm done. I make sure that I have my little massage gun to make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm not like getting my knees wore out because my quads were too tight or my glutes, you know, there, there are things that I can be doing outside of practice to make it. I do get a massage probably like once a month. I get um, Graston. I do with a chiropractor, all those different things that are, will help you become better outside of practice. I practice what I preach. So uh, I make sure that, you know, we have a full body stretching routine that we do. My athletes for Rogue, as soon as they get done, they have their foam rollers. They do everything that they need to do before they they leave practice. So that I just say that's part of practice. It's not, you know, something that you, you know, uh, if I feel like it, I might do, you know, I, I and if you're time crunched, I recommend doing it right before bed. You can foam roll, you can take an Epsom salt bath, you can do all these cool recovery things that that Epsom salt and magnesium might help you relax. And then you can get a better night's sleep. A nice full body stretch might let your brain relax a little bit. So then your sleep might be better that night, which sleep is the one true recovery time that you recover and that, you know, people underestimate what that means. But if you, you're only getting four hours of sleep at night, your body is going to be hurting. So you want to make sure that you're doing all the things that you can do to relax, recover as hard as you train. So, and your perspective as as a coach and as an athlete, bringing in that balance component, I think all of us have reached the point where there's only so much training that that you can do, uh, and you can end up going backwards by training yeah. more. But that that recovery aspect and that the balance of work and life and sleep being so important 
all of that is great. So I'm I'm glad to hear that you are practicing what you yeah, preach. But I also have that fine line that you have to walk. You, you don't want to go over the edge. You know, we all, especially as triathletes, we have this, you know, we got to go more. We got to do more. We got to train more. We got to train harder. But I always say every person has an edge. And so we want to make sure that we're going to the edge where we can, but we don't want to go over that edge where we're getting injured. We're not recovering. We're not able to hit paces like we were. Yeah, I'm hitting all my miles in practice, but I can't, I can't execute on race day. So you got to find where your edge is and your edge might be different than somebody else's. So I, I say, and you know, I have, when I, when I coach my athletes, I say, we have, sometimes we have Ferraris who don't really have to do much at all. They're great. And they might break down a little bit. And then we have their Ford trucks that man, they can do high volume, high, you know, whatever. And they never seem to break down. You have to figure out which kind of athlete that you are and cater to that because that way you're going to hit your sweet spot and not just do something because somebody else is doing it. Or, Oh, I saw this pro athlete doing it. Or I saw, you know, I read it in a book. It's like, figure out what's right for you and go down that path and be the best version of you. You can be, because there's all sorts of different ways that you can get to your goals. And so for someone who is out there uh, grinding away, doing their thing, could you give us maybe a couple of tips of, hey, here's the the yellow warning light, uh, if you will, on the car that that's saying, hey, you might be pushing too hard. You might need to focus a little bit more on the recovery. Could you give us a couple of things to look out for? Yeah, there's this uh, quote that I gave my team not too long ago is that, you know, you got to listen to the whispers, you know, you've been whispering, so I don't have to yell all those little things that are kind of like, you know, oh, you know, I, I, my legs are just not recovering. I feel flat every single day, man, I'm not able to hit my paces anymore. I'm, I'm really trying, but I just feel sluggish. Uh, I say your head feels a little funny sometimes if you've really kind of overdone it and you're not recovered. Those are just little, these precursor warning signs to be like, I'm not doing it. So if you continue to ignore those, you have this training. So you want to make sure that you're resting. And so that when you go here, you're actually getting the benefit for your workouts. But if you're not heeding to the recovery and taking your easy days actually easy, you're never going to recover. And so you're, you're just going to keep going down and down and down because you're never allowing your body to recover. And those are those cues. And so sometimes, you know, you're training hard and your legs are not going to feel sharp, especially if you're in a, the, the last couple of weeks beforehand. But there's those times where it's just like, I'm not recovering every step I take. It almost feels like your nerves kind of going the little nervy signals going up your quads because they're too tight. You're getting injured. You're having difficulty sleeping. You have a bit of a brain fog where you're not real. You know, those are means you're, you're kind of over doing it. You're over here. And so I want to pull you back to the center so that you are making sure that you're, you're doing as much as you can, but that's productive. And so when we went into unproductive, just because we're checking the box and I'm checking the box, I'm just doing it like a robot. Well, your body is really, really great at telling you when it's had enough and it just needs to pull back a little bit. So don't be afraid to take a rest day. Don't be afraid to back off a little bit on your pace. I have a gentleman that he's runs, you know, 245 marathon, and I think he can run his easy runs at 1030 pace, which is incredibly easy for him. He's great. He knows exactly where he has to pull back in order to get his heart rate super low, especially in the, in the heat of Texas. So you really have to be mindful about what your, those cues that your body is sending you so that you don't go over the edge. And we all have a tendency and we have all probably done it where it's just like, okay, uh, I need to get back, but it's having the courage to pull back and know, okay, I'm listening to my body. Now I might, if I take a day off here, or if I'm sick, that might mean that I can continue training more than if I were just to ignore it and let like a sickness or an injury go on for months and months when I, I could have just been like, Oh, I should have kind of just taken that day off and it would have been okay. 
So it sounds like there might not be one blinking yellow light, but listening to your body and and listening for those cues and respecting that. You have to respect what your body's telling you. And that doesn't mean to be like, oh, I'm going to shy away from every little thing that happens. It means man, that my knee has kind of been telling me a little bit <laughs> that it's not, it's aching a little bit. Okay. It's still doing that. You know, it's like, those are things, maybe if I would have pulled back a little bit, I could have, you know, been healthy and keep going. So, you know, those are things that you just have to kind of listen to yourself, make sure you're getting the rest, make sure you're taking recovery seriously, but that is going to allow you to do those big training days, training weeks, training blocks. Well, Kathy, Casey, thank you so much for your time and sharing everything with with our community here. I I do want to uh, give you the floor for just a moment. Could you tell us a little bit more about if if people have heard about your coaching and the Meat Fight Project or the other things that you have going on in your world? Tell us uh, where they can find you and, and how they can follow up with more of that work that you're doing. Yeah, I coach marathon runners through Rogue Running. We have a great group that we coach all over um, the U.S. and here in Austin, we have in-person groups. So uh, I coach with Team Rogue with that. With Meat Fight, we are always looking for people. If you have MS or you know somebody who has MS, get them to apply. It's a free program that we take care of you and that we are always looking for applicants that want to challenge themselves, who want to be around a really good, positive, like-minded group of people. We are a nationwide group. So we want to reach as many people and help as many people as we can. And we're always looking for applicants for that. And I coach people online. So I'm on Instagram at Coach Kathy Casey. I just like surrounding myself with people who really want to like do something they never thought possible and go after things and and go chase down those dreams. Cause I just think that that's what endurance sports is all about. It's figuring out like, what can you do that you didn't think was possible? So that's why I think Ironman racing is so cool. (laughs) So it really just gets to the core of who you are. You can't hide, you have to do the work and you go out there and you push yourself to the limit. And I think you become a changed person once you cross that finish line for the first time. And it's all really cool, whether it's a marathon, you know, or a, a full distance, you're doing things that 1% of the population can do. And it's super cool. Awesome. Well, Kathy, thank you again for your time and sharing your knowledge and expertise with our community. Uh, We will definitely be following you at uh, Ironman World Championships in Kona. Uh, Wish you all of the best uh, with that adventure. Anything else you'd like to share with with our audience before we wrap up for today? No, I just keep getting after it, keep chasing those dreams. And and this is a great way to spread the word to age group triathletes that, you know, it's just anything is possible. And I just think that this sport is amazing and go after the things that you never thought you could do. Thanks again to Kathy Casey for coming on the show. We really appreciate your time and the knowledge that you shared with us. I hope all of our listeners found this to be a very valuable conversation. And if you did, please share the podcast with your training buddies and friends. Please keep in mind, if you work out, everything else will too. And we look forward to talking with you next time on Money Mile. Take care.